Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. And I want to talk today about the fact that you were born for a purpose. Not for a paycheck or a pension. You were born for a purpose. I meet many people who live for their paycheck or live for their pension. Actually, God has called you to live on purpose. And I believe you were born for a purpose. And we're going to talk today about being born for a purpose. And what has God got for you? And we're going to use the book, uh, the book of Nehemiah, tell the story of a man called Nehemiah in the Bible. Because here's the question I've got for you. What is it? That, why, sorry, why is it that you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Why do you get up every morning and make the decisions that you make? Why do you go to work? Why do you feed your family? Why do you get changed and get ready and go out the door? Why do you do that? And people often say, oh, it's because I need to earn the money. But it's never about the money. It's what you're going to do with what you get. What are you about? What's, what wires you? What drives you? What excites you? What is it that you think, oh, if I could only do this. Why do you do what you do? What is it that gets to do what I do because I don't know any other way of doing things? What's the purpose that God's put in your life that he hasn't put in someone else's life? You want to build up a pension pot so that after a certain amount of time, I've heard people count down, it's only three more years to go, five more years to go. I, I've heard someone just yesterday say to me, when I get to this point in my career, then I can claim my pension and we are on the home straight. Your life is not just about existing, it is about purpose. And the story of Nehemiah is a story of a man with a purpose. The thing is, you may be sitting in this room right now and you may think, you know what, Sim, I'm a very able and talented individual. I I, I got great results at university. I got honour degrees. Maybe you are like at the top of your business or your profession. Maybe you are really able and excel. It's really you do. That's wonderful. God can still use you. But God has this really strange habit of loving to use people who are ordinary, everyday people. You look throughout the Bible and God uses normal people time and time again to to show off, to say, I can use anybody who's willing to be used, who recognise they've got a purpose. I'm not looking out for the clever people who are full of themselves. I'm looking for the people who are empty of themselves and want to be full of me. God has got a purpose for your life and he's, he specialises in using ordinary, everyday, normal, ev- uh, Joe people that just kind of go, well, I don't know what I can offer. I'm just normal. God's like, great. You plus me as a majority, we're in. We win every time we work with God. And so in the story of Nehemiah, I get my Bible, sorry, like you pass my Bible to make sure we're, you know, I was going to say kosher then, but that's probably not appropriate, is it? Um, <laughs> Honest. Okay, I'm reading the Bible. It's okay. We're safe. We're safe. It's not just a little pep talk. So from Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah, just to explain this, Nehemiah is not a particularly special person, but he does have a very special job. Nehemiah is a Jew, and about 140 years before this story takes place, uh, the King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire comes along and smashes down the walls of Jerusalem. And they take away all the families and they enslave them. And they take them back to the Babylon um, capital city and they, they put them into work. And 140 years later, Nehemiah appears and he is a slave to the king. He is a cupbearer, a wine waiter. His job is to hold the cup for the king. 
That's his job. He's a cup holder. And I guess he probably had to taste the wine to make sure it was okay. And if it was poisoned, that was the end of his career and maybe his life. And that was what he did. His job was he was a cup bearer. But we hear this story at the beginning of Nehemiah chapter 1. Or whatever. Nehemiah chapter 1, it says this. Um, in the late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who returned there from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. They said this to me. Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, this is Nehemiah, he sits down and weeps. In fact, for days, he says, I mourned, fast and prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah heard this story from his homeland and he was distraught. He's like, what is going on? What is just happening to my people, to my homeland, to the city that I've heard so much about? They hear great stories about Jerusalem's in ruins, the people are desolate. And here's what happened with Nehemiah. I'm going old school today, if that's all right. And Nehemiah, first P for you, he had passion. Nehemiah had passion. He thought, you know what, this can't be the problem and I want to do something upset, I'm offended, I'm frustrated, I'm seeing the problem and I want to do something about it. For those of you of a certain generation, this could be called the Popeye moment. I can't stand it no more. I'm looking around and some of you are nodding and some of you go, no idea. What you, spinach in a tin, what's all that about? Google it when you get some signal. But passion, he had passion because he was frustrated. You see, frustration is passion without any focus. Frustration is passion without any purpose. Frustration is when you're annoyed by something but can't do anything about it. Passion is such an important ingredient when God says, I can use a passionate person. What are you passionate about? Your passion is waiting for your courage to catch up. If you're passionate about something, all you need is the courage to go, I want to do something about this. I want to make a difference. And maybe there are things you're seeing go, I, I want to change that. I want to see that shift and change and become something better. What is it you're passionate about? And if you're not sure, I ask you this question. What are you frustrated about? What annoys you? Really bad all the time. And actually it becomes unhealthy. Frustration becomes anger. Anger becomes bitterness, and bitterness is horrible. Turn your passion to something good. Say, God, what can you do with this frustration? And you're sitting there, and you're watching the TV, or you're seeing concerns on the news, and you think, I want to do something about that. I want to put my passion into action. And that was a story with Nehemiah. Nehemiah was like going, my people are desolate and in ruins. My people are, are, are lost their way. The city walls are broken down and I can't stand it anymore and I want to do something about it. And this is the point many people get to. And then they stop. They roll over, they go to sleep. They get on with their life. They chase the paycheck and the pension rather than the passion that God's put within them. What's God put on your heart that makes you get upset, offends you, frustrates you? Because frustration is passion without any focus. What is God trying to nudge you about? Because I'm convinced that God uses people who are frustrated and passionate and want to make a difference. He's going, great, you're ready. 
What did Nehemiah do at that point? It says in Nehemiah chapter 1, what did he do? Begins with P, if that's helpful. Thank you. He prayed. I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. The whole of chapter 1 then is just one massive prayer. The second P is he prayed. If you've got a passion about something, I want to encourage you to start praying. Praying. Nehemiah prayed. He didn't just pray for an hour or two. He didn't just pray for a day. November, December time, in case you want to study your theology and check me out, that's okay. About November, December time, he starts to pray. And then it was the month, I'll never forget this one, it's the month of Nissan. I have a Nissan Qashqai, I'm not sure where that's connected. But it's about the month of April or May. About four or five months later, Nehemiah has been praying and fasting for four months. He's turned his passion into prayer. He's not just going, I'm passionate, I'm annoyed, I'm frustrated, and nothing's changing. He's going, I'm praying. Sometimes people say this to me, they say, you know what, there's nothing I can do, I suppose I'll just have to pray. I mean, wow, imagine God listening to that, oh great, that's what I am. I'm like a just, I guess you'll have to do God. I've done everything else, I've tried all the doctors, I'll just have to pray, I guess. Do we understand the power of prayer? of having the ear of, the, of God Almighty, the God who created the heavens and the earth, and we get to pray to him and speak to him and call him our Father, and he goes, I'm listening 24-7, what do you want to say? Prayer is a powerful weapon. We don't just pray. We pray and we say, God, would you intercede on our behalf? Would you change the circumstance we're faced with? We're passionate, but God is beyond us. And if your passion within your own control, fix it. But if your passion beyond your ability, beyond your resources, then pray. You know, I'm passionate about us having a new church building. Not because I like buildings particularly, but I'm passionate about our church having a space that we can call home so everybody can be welcomed in. Because I'm passionate about people being welcomed into the kingdom of God. Why am I passionate? Because when I was younger, when I was a teenager, I got frustrated by my local church. My local church was on a housing estate in the middle of Kent, on the outskirts of Maidstone. And in this housing estate, we had this church that all the people who attended the church would drive to the church from other... We all drove in to the church. And on the door, we would place two of our oldest members with their suits and ties on. I thought they just loved dressing up to welcome people. But I think it was like a spiritual bouncer. That their job was to look at people and going, do you see what I'm wearing? Anybody, I don't think you're going to fit in. And I always found it fascinating. We never got anybody from the local housing estate into our church. And slowly, a few people started to go, this isn't right. We've got to change this. We started engaging. We started helping people who couldn't read or write to fill in forms. We started doing English as a second language. All kind of activities as a church. We started engaging with the community around us. And it started shifting. And some of the people who loved their suits and ties were struggling with people coming in that didn't wear the right clothing. Our God does not care what you wear. I mean, I care that you wear something to church. But God doesn't really care what you wear. He doesn't look at humanity and go, well, you're in a tie, so you're going straight to the front queue of heaven. He's like, he goes, he cares. And I'm passionate about people being welcome into our church. And I'm frustrated that on a Sunday, our big team have to get canisters of water and go fill them up from a tap so we can serve people coffee. I mean, that's a, that frustrates me. 
And I want to do a great welcome. People can come in and be warmly welcomed. And we're not running around like we're camping for the weekend. I want to have a building that says, you are welcome here. And that God resides here. This is a place of worship. And so the reason we want to raise the funds we want to raise is not because we need money or not because we need buildings, but because we need a space that the town can see and people can come to and saying, I am welcome there. The people of Freedom Church welcome me and they love me. And they're not just there for a couple of hours on a Sunday. They're there every single day of the week. That's what I'm passionate about. And for the last three years, I've been praying. I've been walking around that piece of land. And it's great. Some of the team went out last weekend and Asian and others have been prayer walking. We want to keep on praying. I've been praying every time I go down that road and I go past that roundabout, you know, one hand's off the wheel and I'm praying. I don't know if that's spiritual or not, but I'm just going, God, bless that land and give us favour. I'm praying. Would you join me in praying and adding to the passion, not for a building. Buildings are just, we're in a building. It's just so we can stay dry and warm. But it means we can be accessible to all, that everyone can be welcome. And we won't need any spiritual bouncers on the door with special uniforms to say, you're not welcome. The doors will be wide open because everyone's welcome into heaven. I've lost my pen. Thank you for that one cheer. Wow, I think it was better than that. Come on, people, a bit more passion in the house. So Nehemiah, he prays for four months. He's been praying for four months and he's been fasting. So he's really skinny at this point. He's absolutely like, you know, emaciated. And, and, and he has this moment. He's there in the king's, um, you know, special uh, the throne room. And the king turns to Nehemiah and says, well, why are you looking sad? What's going on? And then this moment, if you read Nehemiah, let me get this right. I just want to prove to you. It's actually in the Bible. Um, and it really is there. Uh, where are we? I can't find it. It's in there somewhere. Uh, chapter 2. He said, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. And the gates have been destroyed by fire. He knew what the problem was. And the challenge is with people with passion is they're very passionate but can't articulate what they're passionate about. You ever had that conversation? Why are you upset? Well, I just am. I just want people to be better. What do you mean? Who? Which people? How? How do you want to do that? What are you looking for? And challenges with passionate people, even after months of prayer, I want to ask you this question. Do you have a plan? Do you have a clear plan become an articulated plan? A thought that you can express to somebody in one sentence. Because Nehemiah could. Can you explain to somebody what it is that you're passionate about? Are you able to do that? And there's this lovely moment here where the king says, well, how can I help you? And Nehemiah says this in verse 4, with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, I don't think Nehemiah got his knees and said, hold on, king, I'm just going to spend four months praying and fasting. He'd done the legwork. And he was able to do a quick, I believe, an internal prayer to God, help me, this is the moment. And he took those four months of prayer and, and, and creating the possibility. Then when the king asked the question, he had a plan and he was ready. What did he say to the king? When he said, well, can I, imagine that moment, how can I help you? This is the king of Babylon. He says this, If it please the king, and if you're pleased with me, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. And I love this little line here. This is one for the ladies in the house. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, 
I love that little moment because I'm like going, if the queen wasn't there, I wonder how much you've gone, yeah, whatever. Sacked, we'll get a new one. I wonder whether the queen, yeah, you know what? He's a good guy. Come on, help him out there. She's the nice one in the dragon's den. And he says this, um, uh, how long will you be gone? When will you return? And I tell him how long I'll be gone. The king agrees to my request. Then he goes one more. If it pleases the king, let me have letters addressed the governors of the province, uh, instruct them to travel safely through their territories, and give me another letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, to intru- uh, introducing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams to the gates of the temple fortress. He basically says to the king, it's great you've noticed I'm upset. I want to fix the walls of Jerusalem, and I want you to pay for it. That takes some guts. I don't know if you ever had those moments. I want, here's an opportunity. God, you've been praying for this for months. And now God says to you, right, here we go. I've sent you a resource. I've sent you opportunities. And there'll be people coming our way as Freedom Church and going to say, how can I help you? And are you ready for an answer? I'm so glad I've got people on my team who keep saying to me, Sim, will you write stuff down? And the team say, please write it down, Sim, because make it plain so those that read it can run. We're working on some vision stuff in the office at the moment because I want to be clear what we're about, what we're trying to do so that we can run. And when people ask the question, how can I help you? We're ready to go, oh, I'm glad you said that. Have you got your checkbook ready? They won't have a checkbook because that's just centuries ago. But how, how, have you got your bank details ready? There are people who can help us build a church. There are people that can help you with the thing you're passionate about. Are you ready to ask the big question? Have you got a plan? how you manage to articulate what it is that really gets you going. So when those say, come along and say, can I help? Maybe they want to volunteer and support your program. Maybe they want to get involved with what you're trying to do, but you haven't got clarity. They don't want to help. People want to help something which they understand. What is it about? What are you trying to do? Have you got a plan? That's the third P. Nehemiah had a plan. He was very clear. The king asked the question. He goes, yes, I'm in tell you a story. Last time I was involved with a building project in 2005, 2004, we finished in 2005, I had a, a phone call out of the blue from an agency called Shorestar, which is a thing that ran for about 10 years, a labor idea. And I got this phone call from the team at Shorestar. I said, Sim, we love this old chapel you've got. Can we knock it down, build you a brand new building and give you the keys? I'm like, uh, yes, would be a good answer. I then get an email from a member of um, West Sussex County Council. Say, we want to give some money towards your building program. If you can sign this form, which we've pre-filled in for you, we'll give you £400,000. Literally a week later, I got another phone call from someone else saying, we hear you're building a building. We would love you to provide a nursery facilities in that building. If you do, here is a further £112,000. We just want you to reply to this email and say, yes, please. Within months, we had all the funding we needed, and the building was built, and we had the keys in our hand, and some of our team have been to visit Wickbourne Centre, Littlehampton. It's a great facility for our community. And I had dozens of churches coming to see me and saying, how did you get that money? What did you fill in? What did you do? I I had really terrible answers for them. We prayed. We just prayed. And God went ahead of us and he brought the people to us. But we need to be ready with a plan. Say, great, if you give us that money, we can do this with it. That's what God does. And a lot of passion who are willing to pray and spend time planning what they'd like to do with that passion. And lastly, and the most important piece here, 
You can have a great plan, but it's just a plan. Last P, participate. Oh. Participate. James talks about faith and works. It's great we've got a 24-hour prayer space up there. It's been amazing seeing people going up and praying, and prayer is so important, and we've got to have faith what God could do, but it comes with action as well. Faith that works is dead, the Bible says. And yeah, I mean, so many people go, I'm just praying that God's going to do it. And I'm like going, I think God's praying you'll get off your knees and start doing something. And there are other people who are just busy doing stuff and never even thought about praying about it. And I think God would like you just to pause for a moment and pray before you start running. It's both and, it's never one or the other. And I know there are people who prefer one or the other. We need each other to work together, to go, I can't plan very well. I've got loads of passion. Find someone. Help me. Sit with me. I will talk it out and you can write it down and we can plan stuff. And that's a terrible way of spelling participate. What is going on there? But we need to participate. We need to join in with the purposes of heaven. You were born for a purpose. And there's no point you going, well, I've got a great plan. I've not told anybody, but it's a great plan. The story of Nehemiah ends beautifully. It's an incredible story. For 140 years, the people of Israel have sat around a broken city with broken walls, moaning about their circumstances. One man, an ordinary, everyday slave in the house of the king, gets passionate, prays for four months, has a plan. The king sends him to Jerusalem with his money, his dollar. He goes, you go. You rebuild the city that I smashed down or my forefathers smashed down. And, and Nehemiah goes and he all gate, you rebuild that. And after they rebuild the walls of the Jerusalem city in 52 days. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? It's like one of those DIY shows. They have like an hour, kind of like a 60-minute makeover. They do 52, think about that. People sat around for 140 years and did very little. One man with passion who prays with a plan, gets people organized, participating, and in 52 days, incredible, God provides. The purpose is complete. It's an amazing story. You get a chance to read it fully. The story of Nehemiah and the story before that, the one of Ezra, powerful stories of how God can use one person with a passion. I don't know what it is that you're passionate about today. Maybe you love the local church like I do. Maybe you've got other things you think, oh, if only I could see people in need or homeless people getting homes, whether I could find people who are ill getting better, you know, whether, I, whether I can help people who are poorly educated or receive education, whether there are things that are absolutely great with you. There are people you're working with now, you think, I'd love to see this become uh, uh, no longer a problem. I'd like to get rid of all the challenges we're facing in our nation. What is your passion? What are you doing about it? I want to encourage you today that God gave you a purpose. And it's not just to survive page to paycheck or just to wait until the glorious days of a pension. God has got your purpose for you. However old you are, if you are breathing, God has given you a purpose. What is it? What are you passionate about? What has God put within you? What are you desiring God to change in the people you see around you and the lives you're serving? This weekend, I've loved what's something bigger for you. God's something great for you. And I love this weekend. I've loved watching and meeting so many people and enjoying each other's company. But I know we're made for more than just laser clay pigeon shooting. We're made for more than fancy barbecues. We're made for more important. And it's part of our language of gathering as a church family. But God has given us a purpose. And I don't want us to sit still and go, well, that was it. We're done. 
we're finished. We had a nice little time, have a cup of tea, and then we'll just all drift along merrily. And one day, you know what, we'll just kind of go say, see you later, see you in heaven, we're okay. There's a world out there that needs to know that God loves them, that God loves them. God cares for you. God cares for your neighbours. God is interested in your family. God is interested in your friends. God is interested in the people around you. He's given you a purpose. Let's not waste the purpose that God has given to us by just squandering it with ideas that never go onto a piece of paper, with ideas that go on a piece of paper and never get shared with other people around us. Let's realize that we are born for a purpose, not just a paycheck. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk Thank you for listening.